Welcome, I'm Ruth Ferenga, founder of Conscious Leaders. This podcast aims to change the world of work one honest conversation at a time. And I hope you enjoy these conversations. They're with proven people leaders running highly successful businesses. Now, if you're interested in developing your leadership skills further, I've digested the top traits and behaviors of the best people leaders I can find into a book. It was recently a finalist in the Business Book Awards and it's called Next Level Leadership, Nine Lessons from Conscious Leaders. To order your copy, visit consciousleaders.org.uk forward slash book. And you can also subscribe there to my bi-weekly newsletter where I share free content, including practical tools to help leaders move from good to great. So this month, I'm bringing you the wonderful Flavia Fongang. She's CEO at Three Colors Raw, a branding and marketing agency for tech companies. And she's also founder of Global Tech Advocates, Black Women in Tech. And I started by asking her just how she got to where she is now. So when I think, I love this question people ask me my background because I can take it as far as, <laughs> as my parents decided to, to leave Cameroon and come to Paris. But I think it's better if I start with me. But yeah, I was, I was born in Paris. When, when I tell people I'm born in Paris, they always think, oh my gosh, you're so lucky, glamorous place. And I was always confused when people get so excited because the, the side of Paris that people saw in their mind was not the one that I lived. And I grew up in the ghetto of Paris, you know, the, the suburb where... Um, you know, the, the Arabs, the Blacks were, you know, were put in, in you know, not to represent what French image was like. And um, raised by a single mother of five kids. And um, we were not looking. I shared, you know, we had <laughs> a small apartment, actually two bedroom apartment with five kids, one mother. That's not enough. And uh, added to that, you know, living with uh, mice and cockroaches were also my best friends but that's another story but i think we got a break when we finally got um a second a property bigger for us and we moved to the 18 district in paris people know it's by gardener station and and yeah things changed for me i think things really changed for me when i met this head teacher who looked at my grades and saw potential in me you know sometimes you have to see it from somebody else for, for you to believe in it. And she looked at me and I always loved that story. It's like, I know you can do better. And from that moment, she really injected power and confidence in me and I became really obsessed at school, you know, at school, in school. And and then I study, I study, I don't know, before coming to London. So yes, yeah, so I was never meant to be in London. I should say that I was never meant to be in London. This was an accident. So sometimes <laughs> some accidents are really good. <laughs> But yes, I came to London by accident. I was sitting at the house at the principal office complaining about things that we can do better. And this is how I found this little note about an opportunity to travel to London and studying London for a year. And I was meant to stay for a year and 20 years later, I'm still here. And um, so yes, when I was in London, so I studied marketing and communication, uh, economics and law. So I have two degrees, one in, in marketing and one in economics and law. And, and I also had the master's in international business Left university with loads of lots of degrees, but useless. I was expensive on paper, but not a very good employee to hire because I had no experience and nobody wants to hire somebody who has no experience, especially even when you graduate, which is ridiculous, you know? So that's how it all started. So I was really determined, you know, despite the fact that I will have the voices of recruiters telling me that my accent was too strong and I could not find me a job. I had to be stronger mm. than the limitation that... That people put on me and that's really um you know reverse psychology works really well on me when you tell me i can't do something i will show you i can and this is how then you know find and finally find a position in the oil and gas event company which was a great uh one of the probably one of the best milestone of my career 
because I really allowed me to travel around the world and, and I've traveled to places that I would have never traveled to and went to Middle East, to Asia, to Africa, of course, in you know, South America, Europe, and so many places. And the more I traveled, the more I realized how narrow-minded I was because I always imagined that everybody see the world, the world the way I see the world. And the more you travel, you realize that we are different. And I think part of being able to build a brand or a business is to have diverse people at the table. And mm -hmm. without actually realizing, I understood the importance of first technology, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but also the importance of having different people at the table. So when you want to build something great. So I was always smart lazy in the sense that I always wanted to find a way to use technology <laughs> to get something done before even chat DBT, I, you know, I would implement tools and find, and then I guess my CEO was, didn't have the same ambition that I had and he couldn't see how far I could go. And I became by default, I like to say that by default, because a lot, there's a lot of women out there who become entrepreneurs because they work for an organization that doesn't understand them or can't see their potential. And I became an entrepreneur by default because that was all I could do. I couldn't see myself working for another company. So I just thought I said, sorry for myself. And I followed my, my passion for fashion. So this was my second career. So I lived the world of oil and gas and got into fashion. I was, you know, when I, fashion was always part of who I am, a way to express myself. Because, you know, I remember I told you that, you know, we didn't grow up with a silver spoon in, my, in, in our mouth when we were young. But I think we had a sense of creativity and, and sometimes the best innovative individuals come from hardship and, you know, and um, hard, you know, and just hardship really much. So, and so you have to learn to be creative. How can I make my money work when I don't have a small, big budget? And that's where, you know, my sisters and, and my sister and I, and even my mom, you know, we find things in a vintage store in Paris and people think, wow, this is so amazing. But people never knew that it cost us like five euros or even three euros to get this dress so, and so forth. So I always learned to, to you know, to, to be creative in a way I, I present my I present myself and that was a personal branding without realizing it wasn't just about looking fancy it was about I want to make sure that when I get into a room people know and remember you've me. arrived Absolutely. yeah <laughs> and just from personal experience I mean we met at the Nudge Ideas Festival down in Exeter <laughs> and when you walked on that stage to do your keynote talk everyone knew that you'd arrived <laughs> both because you looked amazing but also just you have a really really strong presence in a room mm -hmm. um, which I think is you know, a lot of Brits are a little bit too humble, I think. Mm. We kind of undersell ourselves and we stay small. But you went big. Yes. And exactly. I'm like, yes, <laughs> this, this woman's incredible. Uh, so, yeah. So it's interesting that kind of fashion helps mm. you lean into that. Absolutely. You know, you laugh about it, but there's so many doors that open to me, even, you know, in business. Just because, I, you know, I dress the part I want to, I want to dress the way I want it to be addressed. And that's so important. People may say, oh, you know, your way you dress is not important. Yes, yeah, Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg, because now they they are recognized leaders in the space. But when you are nobody, people will judge you in your appearance. Unfortunately, that's just the seven second impression that is what it is. You know, this is so key, and people really underestimate how your personal brand, where you come across, what you say, and you know, your accent is so part of who you are and what people want you to help you or want to stay with you or continue having you on the podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's the story. I mean, yeah, so then after that, working to working to fashion, I realized I was working personal branding, but I, want, I was more interested in now going to uh, business branding when I when I was when I was um, with my partner, my partner. At the time, I had a plumbing business. Always crack me up that story because 
on his website, he had a boiler. I said, what, you have a boiler on your website? He said, that's what I do. I said, oh my God, that's what you do, but that's not what you sell. You sell the pleasure of being at home. You sell the pleasure of a hot shower when it's, mm. when it's cold outside. That's what you sell. And you should be able to exp- you know, represent this for storytelling and so much more. He's like, what the hell are she talking about? And what I should tell you is that I self-taught myself as to be a fashion consultant. I learned through books. And it's something I did with my career my career in branding i taught myself i learned from the books and you know i made some mistakes at the beginning but i've you know i grew from that and one thing that i've done as a leader is i've always valued the importance of self-learning through experiences and it's super important and they always learn something new which is super super key and so when i got into then the world of branding and creating my my creative agency you know i, I wasn't listening to the advice that i was giving my clients which is pick a niche I said, pick a niche, it can't be for everybody, not everybody is for you. And I was FMCG, oil and gas, because that's what I knew, fashion, luxury. I said, wait a minute, we have to do better than this. And then we chose technology. And the reason why I chose technology, because why, is because I was on Twitter and um, there was this BBC documentary about this little girl who created a technology app to help kids to travel hours to go to schools, find their way back home, because a lot of them were getting lost. I thought, oh wow, that's the type of way I want to work with people who are change makers, game changers, and and can do that on a scalable impact. And technology was my my choice, but also because in technology, there's a lot of startups I felt because they don't know how to tell stories, they don't know how to build mm. a brand, cash flow, or whatever. There's so many reasons. There's a lot of yeah. There is a lot of experimentation there, isn't there? Definitely. There's potentially a lot of money, as yeah. in there is investment around for startup scale up. Um, but there's a lot of failing. 100%. 100%. And so this is how my journey started in, in a tech world. And then from that, you know, having more focus in tech, you know, and again, I've always been a fan of networking and meeting new people. And I love meeting people just because I love to hear stories. I think I just love to hear the, the journey of someone, how they get to where they are, and, you know, and who they become, who they are. And, you know, I realized I was still the, either the only woman in the room of the only black woman in the room. And that really frustrated me because I know how much technology impacts on everything that we do, whatever it is, you know, deep tech to, you know, tangible tech, IoT, you know, also the thing, artificial intelligence and so many more of um, technology options out there. We need to make sure that we have diverse audiences. Yeah. So we I mean, let's, let's touch on that mm-hmm. um, briefly in the first mm-hmm. instance because... You no, know, this podcast is all about leadership and, and mm. how we how we lead people um, successfully in ways that makes them happy and thrive and all this type of thing, as well as doing great commercial business. Yes. Um, and you you mentioned it a bit earlier in your intro about about diverse teams. Mm. Um, did you want to talk to that a little bit about? And because it's clearly what you weren't seeing when you came yes. into the industry. Absolutely. And I guess when we pan forward to what's going to happen with AI. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So when I so before I set up my agency, I was a consultant. So I remember signing up to the London Chamber of Commerce and I was networking, you know, with the London Chamber's love and not <laughs> plug to them, but it's good when you're starting a business, when you're not very focused on your market. So you can meet all sorts of business, lots of small businesses. And this, this uh, friend slash client of mine said to me, hey, I want you to come with me. You're a branding person, right? I say, yes, I am. Come with me to Cambodia. I say, huh? <laughs> In my head, I say, huh? I didn't tell him, huh? <laughs> I say, I want you to help me build this first Formula One racetrack in Cambodia. I say, okay, cool. And say, the only thing you have to do is um, tell me when you want to come. And then I sort this out. I say, okay, cool, fantastic. So, uh, and we see what we did. 
and uh, arrived in Cambodia, and I remember watching one of the billboards, and it was a it was an advertisement for a beer, and right in the middle you had a, a white man and a white woman, right on the left hand side and right hand, each of them you had an Eurasian, which is mixed Western and Asia, and right at the end on both corners you had Cambodian. Why these white people at the center? Exactly. (laughs) But what was interesting about it is that their perception when it comes to building a brand, Cambodian had low perception of brand led by Cambodian. Right. Okay. So if you wanted to project luxury, you had to come across as Western. If you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to sell any electric products, it has to be Japanese or Chinese. And it was very interesting because you can't imagine doing this in England where, you, you know, you promote, you know, uh, an English brand, but you put, you know, why, you know, English people right at the end because it was pride in who we yeah. are, what, what, you know, what Britain represents and so much more. Same thing for French or, you know, African. And I was, I found that so interesting to really understand that. But also when we were creating the name of the brand, we had to be careful of the sounding of the, of the name. So Cafe Daily the word daily is can be an insult in Asian language, so you have to be careful what you use. And therefore, from the start, because my one of my first projects was abroad, I understood that I need to have people at the table who could make sure that we don't make global mistakes. You know, you see brands such as Walkers called Lays somewhere else, you know, the packaging change over time. It costs a lot of money when you don't think about the long-term vision of your business and we say, oh, actually, we want to go global. Well, I do talk about how your name comes across in different languages. Right. Like DPD, it's a very big offense if you pronounce it in, in, with, in, with, um, with, in, as a French person. It's an insult, you know, to people who are, who are homosexual. Like, oh my God. Yeah, so we had the first world of Chronopost, you know, at the beginning, yeah, because DPD. <laughs> mm. It's really bad. So not making mistakes, is yeah. it? is a key one yeah yeah and we've dived right in which i think is great because you're so easy to talk to but just to <laughs> pan out a little bit again what, what would you say your leadership philosophy is do you have a kind of set of words or an approach um that mm. you kind of lead by or i love i love this i love this question and i think when i think about my leadership philosophy it's pretty much i want to be <laughs> retired <laughs> so <laughs> Retired me. I, I want to be retired. <laughs> I also video to say like we don't need you. Go by. Okay, cool. No problem. That's what it is. It means that I've done my job. I'm trying to make yourself redundant. Absolutely, make myself redundant. And this is what I want to do. And, um, and part of that is really building the people that you know who, who will take your place. It's so important. But I mean, people don't think about it. Oh, I want to stay here forever. I'm not interested. <laughs> You know, so I want to be able to 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 get retired by my my team, so we can say, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm taking care of that. Yeah, mm. um, that's what I want. So uh, in building it, and sometimes we don't realize that we have our own gatekeeper because we 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 hold our knowledge, and it's so important to even document it. I think people it's so important to document your process whatsoever. I mean, beyond your process, your leadership skills, and what you want to do, how you want to put to feel. And again, you're gonna make some mistakes along the way. But yes, think from a mass mindset in terms of you should be a great leader who will build somebody so they can take their place, so they can move to the next role. Because mm. was it, you know, part of your milestone is not to be sitting and standing in the same position forever. It's to be, okay, I'm building you to get you so you can take my seat and, I, and then I'll move on to something else. That's so important. I mean, my name, Flavilla, is also a butterfly, so... I'm always evolving, so... All right, I'm so wondering right what's next. <laughs> mm, so, so, and this sounds like a really interesting approach to think about. 
ultimately being retired. So, so it sounds like, but don't let me put words in your mouth, you, you're wanting very to grow or hire very capable people and you want to empower them and equip them with all your knowledge. Like you don't need to hold on to any ego or they can share in this. Yeah, absolutely. And you need to write stuff down so they know or someone knows how to. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is what it is. You know, leadership managers will tell you what to do so they can keep their seat and the leaders will guide you so you don't no longer lead them, need them. And that's what is for me is a difference between the two of them. And I'm very keen on, you know, I believe life opportunities are like a French bakery. There's always going to be baguettes. Yes. So you might come this morning, there's no baguette. Come back tomorrow, there'll be more. And uh, you always have to... Life is like a French bakery. I like it. <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> I have to do a quote for each um, <laughs> guest. I'm wondering whether yes. it's a little bit intriguing. Yeah, life is, <laughs> opportunities, opportunities in life is like a French bakery. It's not a slice of cake where there's no more cake left. There's going to be always baguette or croissant tomorrow. So... Don't look at somebody's success with envy. Look at it with inspiration. That's why it is. Oh, okay. Miss Martin is coming. I like that. You know? It's more baguette. Yeah, it's more baguette. It's yeah. more baguette. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way bread is a central focus. Yeah, bread. Very, very important. Yes. So, yes, I think this is why I look at, at leadership is that, um, and it's hard because I know that nobody's going to be like me. And it's also recognizing that everybody has their own leadership style. There's different ways to, to get to Rome. And therefore, bring your style. People say, oh, I want to be able to speak like you. Say, no, that's, the point is not to speak like me. It's to find your own style so you can fall in love with your style. Mm. And love that, you know. So what is your style that brings the same energy, the same results? So sort of and allowing people to grow into their own mm. shoes or fill out their own. And I did get that sense again, going back to your talk at this festival. But um, it was... Sometimes when you see someone speak, you're like, oh, wow, that's impressive. That's amazing. I did think that, but I also felt taller myself. Mm. Like, I think you have this way of speaking. Even looking at you now, I just, you've got, there's something about, and I wonder, was, you said something about that head teacher yeah. who saw in you yes. this, this amazing capacity that you mm. weren't really living to its fullest, which I think is a hugely powerful in leadership. And I talk about it in my TED talk and all sorts about the way we look at people. Um, but I think you do have a very particular ability to to make people feel more powerful. Yeah, and that's quite I a big statement. So. So I don't normally, I don't go around saying that all the time. Yeah, um, but I do yeah. think that's true. I think you know, people have given me so many titles, but the one that I love the most is in, I'm an enabler. That's what I want. And again, somebody enabled me years and decades ago, and I want to spend my life doing the same thing. And everything that I do, whatever it is for the, the creative agency, we're building brands, or whatever it is for my nonprofit organization, and building the legacy of other women, I want to enable something that I'm able to see in you, but you might not be able to see it, but I'm seeing you and I want to inject that 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 confidence so you can go and become that best version of yourself that exists in the future. And um, I guess, you know, it, it all comes back to, and I can see, you know, some people are like, oh, you're good at this. You know, and that's why I like mm. to try, I try different things. I can see what you're really good at. You know, I can see my designs, oh, you're really good at at structuring and designing apps and like some of them are really better at logo design or oh, you're an artist you know some of my designs are like you are a natural artist some some are just great designers others are just artists like you are an artist and you know that you know and you can see sometimes you need to enable that artist to then create beautiful work that now sits in the office and I'm really proud to, you know of what they've done yeah like, do you want to describe these amazing pictures we've got yeah absolutely so, and say something about the book too yeah absolutely so this is part of volume two 
The Voice in the Shadow Book. So The Voice in the Shadow Book tells the stories of black women in tech um, to inspire the next generation to start a career in technology, but also to inspire any kids who read this book to think that diversity is important because they probably haven't normalized talent in the black female community, and that's super key. And so every year we come up, we come up with a theme, and this was last year's theme, and last year's theme was dark skin discrimination and uh, colorism. Was what, what da- discrimination? Dark skin. Dark discri- skin discrimination. Yeah, dark skin discrimination mm-hmm. and colorism. And I've always liked to find a way to address difficult situation or negative situation in a in a positive manner because it's the thing that makes people feel very uncomfortable and um and this is what we did we wanted to create um, an art collection where each of them would have a form of beauty but also being a black woman comes with so much diversity you know hair texture style shorts you know lax hair or extension whatsoever and i wanted to really be able to portray that but also as we removed and darkened the melanin, people can really focus on the colors and the personality that shine through, through each of them. And you, you can see them, but the personalities are different. You can see the boss, you can see the joyful one, you can see the fashionista, you can see the no, don't, no one give me attitude kind of girl. You can see the one again over there, you know, <laughs> she's confident, the one, the, the, the shy one. And each of them, this is really what I see when I look at black culture. So beyond being black, Black culture as well, you know, beyond the, the melanin of your color comes different colors. You know, black French is a different experience. Black Caribbean is a different experience. I learned about the windrush only coming here. I never heard about the windrush when I was in France. So when people put us into the same bracket, they don't understand the richness that we bring mm. when you have people from different black uh, heritage. Mm. And kind of pulling this back to your management and leadership approach, you you touched earlier. It's clearly it's clear that you look at people like they're amazing. These are my words that I use in, in the TED talk. But you see the capacity in some of them in people. You want them to be very capable. But you also mentioned something about you're very direct and you want to have open conversations, mm. get the difficulty out of the way quickly as possible, or at least address it. Mm. Can, you, can you say something about that? Because that is something that I notice a lot of leaders are not great at. So yeah. it might help to hear how you're. I just think there's so much, you know, for me, I always believe that if somebody in my team fails, it's my, it's my responsibility. And I want to question, what did I do wrong for not, for even not hiring the right person? Or what did not give that person the right support? Or there was, sometimes it just wasn't the right position for the role. And so much. So I always ask myself, what did I do wrong? You know, the people that I'm managing. But you're right, you know, um, that question... I guess, you know, it's a culture thing as well. Let's be honest. The French, the German, <laughs> the Australians, the Americans, like, yeah, get to the point. Tell me what it is. It's a culture thing, right? And um, I've always found, even just, not just in business, but also in personal relationship, when you have a problem with your partner, address it, don't pile it up. Like, yeah, you told me this three months ago. Like, whoa, 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 I don't even remember. What did you not tell me when you had an issue with me? That's so bad because sometimes you might be doing something wrong and you don't realize it. And if that person is not able to address it with you, then you can correct and they pile and pile and pile. And the person just, oh, I quit. I'm going to do something else, which is not right. You see what I mean? So, and this is why I really welcome, a, you know, a room where people can really speak their mind. It's super important. Mm-hmm. As much as it feels uncomfortable, it is necessary. And how do you set up like structures or environments in your company that people can speak their mind? Mm. I don't know if it's a structure thing, but I think it's more of a culture thing. That is a culture that, you, you know, that I can, you know, as much as I can, will tell you how I feel. 
you will also be able to tell me how I feel. And again, it's, like a, it's a relationship where, again, it's a thing that because I've always welcomed people's opinion, so they know that they can also voice out their sentiment mm -hmm. and their feeling in a certain situation. You know, it's important, you know, and I would just, I'm, I'm super, I guess something that's, <laughs> I'm going to say I'm super direct. People feel like, oh my gosh, you're too direct. It's like, I know. And I say, and this is why I always go into a, a verbal conversation than a text conversation because sometimes I come across Otherwise, like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and when I say that, it's like, okay, let's move into a physical conversation or Zoom conversation because this might be interpreted the right way. Mm. Again, things that so I've you'd done. be quite quick to catch something. Yeah, and say so like, okay, offline, yeah, offline, let's go offline. Move it to Zoom, move it to face-to-face. -face. Yeah, move it to face-to-face, yeah. -face, let's sort it out. And you see that that is better, it's always been better than just like, ah, email conversation or Slack conversation is just es escalate. And you want to avoid that. So, mm. okay, let's speak about it. Let's calm down because how you come across you know, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm feeling about this. Uh, how I come across what you say has made me feel this way. I say, cool, I'm sorry. This is what you address. And I don't want the answer to necessarily come from me. So like, tell me what I did and how you want to address. And if this is something that I can, can do in that case, I would do it, you know? So uh, um, I think it's important. But yes, pick it up. Get offline. Get off text conversation. Let's be going to a meeting. Let's go into yeah. a Zoom call. What are like, okay, let's talk about this right now. Yeah, because there's a lot of a lot of organisations I speak with and work with. There's historically a lot of rumblings and feelings and things that have been unsaid. Yeah, and it creates so much friction in our business relationships, doesn't it? Yeah, but you know what's the thing? People forget that friction is also part of business. But the more you avoid it, you're only making the 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 I want to say analogy from Mighty Cyrus. I should say like the record ball. But yes, you only make that bomb bigger. Yes, and it will just explode. But when the bomb, bomb is still smaller, or maybe just like a match, address it, okay, okay, why? Okay, let's fix it now before it gets bigger so we can know mm -hmm. what's right. But I think behind that as well, as leaders, I think it's important that we don't make, you know, we, we are using rational or metrics to be able to measure someone's, someone's performance. So if I give you a, a negative feedback that you don't want to hear, I'm backing up with metrics. We set the targets, we set the KPIs. Where are we right now? Three months review, every quarter review, okay, where we mm -hmm. are. So you can't tell me you are not aware because we put this in writing. We both agree into this. Right. And so you're documenting. Absolutely. So when I run meet when I run performance review, I do not set the solutions. You do. So okay, so how we can go about it? And I want you to hold yourself accountable. It's not me who decided, you decided, you tell me what you want to achieve and say, so how we're gonna go about it. Okay, we agree, okay, yes, I might give some directives. If I think that we need to improve, but it's a mutual decision. So then you can say, oh, you told me, but I could not achieve it. I was, you said it. <laughs> and then after that, you know, nothing else. Um, so you're giving them the, yeah. you talked about like autonomy, yeah. accountability. Absolutely. There's three things that are important to me, like ownership. I, there's nothing that I cannot compromise in it. It's ownership. Like if you give it them, it's different between somebody who, somebody who has ownership say, hey, Favilla, we're supposed to work on this. When it's gone on, so they also call me out if I forget. <laughs> I must say, I forget things a lot. You're imperfect, no? I'm good at forgetting things. <laughs> Two is a team spirit. If we fail, it's never I, it's never I won. It's like we won it. So you never hear in front of the clients, oh, sorry, Georgia made a mistake. It's like, oh, so we made a mistake. But we said we're going to fix it. And you own the success and the mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. Always it's weak. important. That's really absolutely important. Very important. And again, like when we don't get what we want, the question I always ask is like, what are we supposed to learn from this situation? Because not every action will lead to the result that we results that we want. Okay, so we didn't get what we want. What can we learn from this so we can do better? 
you know, and that's super key. And self-assessments, you know, work assessment, this is how you own it. And then the last one is obviously innovation. I mean, you work for a creative agency. If you don't innovate, I can't survive, really. Right. No. Yeah. And particularly the ownership, how easy is that to instill in employees? Very hard. Or, <laughs> and, 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 a related question, are you hiring for it in the first place? Or are you, you know, needing to get people to step mm. up to that? That's a very good question. Like, ownership, if you had to instill into someone, it's harder but somebody has it, they will come out naturally. But again, when they're young, I probably don't expect it straight away because they haven't been trained to do that naturally. Yeah, Unless, they may not you know, have that autonomy. Absolutely. For me, is that I've always had to own it because I was a middle child. My two young older sisters they were already gone, so I had to look after the other two. So I was, you know, the figure. So people always like, oh, we make a decision, let's wait for a to come back. I said, why are you waiting for me? So I always had this you know, responsibility to or to to be accountable for everybody. So I, I had no choice. I became on, owner of, of everything. I mean, owner of everything. That ownership in everything that I do. But yeah, some people have it. So in, in management level, I expect you to have it. And I would definitely look for that. If you don't have it, you're never going to train that. It's too late. Let's be honest. But if you are young, then I, would, I can train you. I can mold you. Somebody is hard to change. Somebody who's already learned to, to, to bicycle or learn to drive. If somebody's a new driver, you can give them the right directives, a great, great approach. Mm. It's too late. Some people are just too late. So how are you teaching it? Mm. I've heard a little bit about this, the way you do your KPIs and reviews. Is there anything else you think you do that helps people take responsibility? Yeah, so again, something like, you know, the one thing that we do is that, you know, because we own results and failures together. This is where, you know, there's room for brainstorming. So everybody can something like way, for example, starting a new project, people will look, they'll be allocated different tasks and you present it. So you own it, yes? So your own task and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then after that, somebody who, who, whoever has presented the base case, that is in, in most cases, will take over. And this is what, so you have to win that project. So you have to own it. Yes, yeah, not just given to you. You have to own it. So this approach is important to really just... So, you, so say it again. So you've got, you get take on a project and then you need to present it to yeah. someone else? Or? Present, yeah, you present it internally. And then whoever owns it best takes over and lead the project. And mm-hmm. that's how we do it. And sometimes people might, might, might be better at, at, at certain things than others just because of their background. So for example, if you're working on a black-led project, I'm more likely to put somebody who has a black-led background because they understand it better. Or maybe it's a woman-led project or... Or someone who understand, you know, B two B tech, I might change it to someone, you know, because we work with bigger organization and small organization, not everybody has the same experience. But the person who leads still teaching the others, so then people can come on board. Mm. And also so they take a leadership role, but then they bring others. With. Exactly, absolutely. Yeah. So people are still involved into it, but not as a lead person into it, which is important. And the lead change all the time, just lovely, you know. But that's really hard. It gets to me, I tell you, I'm making myself retired. Yeah. It sounds <laughs> yeah. like quite a nice organic approach to leadership, though. Yeah. Like, who's emerging as the strongest person for this client? And 100%. Yeah. Especially with graphic designers, it's a good way to test. And, and it doesn't feel like it's competitive. It's very much collaborative. Mm. Like, oh, a bit of that. And, yeah. How, yeah. How do you cultivate an environment like that that isn't too competitive and is more collaborative? Because mm. potentially you might want to lead the lead role in something and then someone else looks like they're That's emerging. What, what's what's making it? That's a very question. I never thought about this, but yeah, if not competitive. I think we always have a sense, again, it comes back to that we thing instead of I thing and it's so important. 
into this and because all the projects are intertwined into it because you know that you might be someone might be the lead on a project but they still need person B to help them with another project so if you create friction then that's the two projects you see what I mean it's going to backfire exactly so then somebody else might be the lead on this project but then you also need a co-lead mm-hmm. and you know second you know, team manager and this is why it's never one person on their own it's always intertwined mm-hmm. into it which is super important so that's why there's no some there's no animosity where and it's just okay because they don't rely on me to say, how do I do that? Go and speak to Ogechi or go and speak to, to Michael or go and speak to Anastasia, you know, whatsoever. You know, it's so important. Mm. And in amongst, in amongst all this, leading the company, keynote speaking, authoring, like <laughs> BBC commentating, whatever else you're doing, um, <sighs> how do you look after yourself? There's one thing I value a lot is sleep. <laughs> Me and brother we love sleeping because it's been four hours. So one thing I do is like I always seven hours sleep. Not always, but I will catch up throughout the week. So that's super important because sleep is really the best way to recover. So you prioritize. Yeah, we love sleep, yes. And again, like, you know, a passion to what I eat, I'm not going to say that I don't indulge all the times, but I always go back to good choices. It's very key. And also, you know, the best food is what you put in your mind. So mm. I do not... I be very careful of my environment, people I have around me, you know, meditation, you know, as much as I can. Have you curated the people you have around you, would you say? Mm. Because you said you wanted, yeah. it sounds like a good energy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super important as well, is in terms of if you are only the only one healthy and nobody else is healthy around you, what's the point, you know? And this is why part of, um, of um, I really believe that the best way to to be happy in your career is to keep learning. And that's why I've always put, you know, platform for them to learn new courses and, you know, do different things. And, you know, we do different type of activities. So we could be anything from pasta making to... Is this know, with the team? Yeah, this is with the yeah. team, yes. Mm. Obviously on a personal level as well. I think mm. space is so environment, the environment that you create. And if you look at this from a see the colors, it just, it's energy. So you have to be careful in terms of how your space look like in, you know, how you work. Mm. So I'm very conscious of that in, in the what you put into your mind, information that you consume. So it sounds like you're really create, curating your whole life, be it that physical space, people, nutrition. I'm very conscious of creating my own world. I remember seeing this tweet, it was so important. It's like people worried about the world, they think that's the end of the world. And he was saying that at my time, I, you know, I grew up in World War II and I saw this and this and that. People always thought that it was also the end of the world. And so you have to create your own happiness, cut out anything that doesn't provide you any good, you know, remove the news. If it doesn't help you move forward with your career, focus on what you can control, not mm. what you can't control. Everything else, you know, if you can do something, but then do it. If you can't, don't cultivate, you know, the anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy, you know? Do you think your upbringing and having, you know, a pretty tough start, I guess you'd say, in Paris mm. help you with this mobility or like, because it, yeah. Do you know, it's, it's so funny that you asked me this question today because I was driving this morning and I was like, oh, I was having a, I don't know if you ever saw that movie called La Vie est Belle and the, the Life is Beautiful. It's, it's, oh, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. From Cannes, from Cannes, when they won the Cannes Award, it was years ago. Yeah. And it was about his father who was here with his son and was captured in the, yeah, but anyway, during the Hitler era. So we're captured Jewish. And, you know, and I was thinking, my mom told me that story so many times and I was kind of like, is she lying? <laughs> And she told me that when I was a toddler and one day she left me, you know, sat on the, in the living room and she went to, be, to do something in the kitchen. And when she came back, you know, so I had a sweet in my hand. And when she came back, I was, she saw me literally with these little mice trying to grab my sweet and I was fighting and the little mice was playing. 
And obviously she's supposed to be like, how on earth is happening right now? How does a baby mask also recognize a baby? And you can see them trying to pick up the sweet. Yeah. And um, and she laughed, but only her can remember. I, I can't remember if it's this age. I can't remember. But that's what I call, you know, joy in poverty. You know, sometimes you don't realize what you don't have if you still have joy in the house. Mm-hmm. And my mom always made sure that we had food on the table. And she always been a, a, a light in the sense that she always saw the positive. Sometimes too much. Sometimes you're like, you have to let people go because they're not nice. But she's a bit of people pleaser. I'm not that person. So, but, but yeah, so I think this is a joy even when you live in poverty and poverty. So you can always see the, the silver lining and see the good part of life. And I think it's so important. Don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you have and be grateful to live another day because somebody who may have millions in their bank account just discovered they have cancer and you're complaining about your life. Would you trade your life for that person? Probably not. And surely not if you have some common sense. And um, I think it's living in your own, stay in your lane. Don't look at everybody else and what they're doing. Stay in your lane and focus on what you can control in your life. And I appreciate what you have. And that's how you stay happy. Thank you, Flavilla. Wow, that woman has incredible energy. I couldn't help but feel strong just being in her orbit for that interview. And really the lengths she's gone to to mobilise herself and then really pass on those good vibes and opportunities to people around her is quite something. Well, you've been listening to the Conscious Leaders podcast and I'm Ruth Frenger. I want to facilitate honest conversations with great people leaders so you can learn from their highs and lows and take away sustainable practices and behaviours you can implement straight away. For free practical advice on how to build a calm, collaborative and productive workplace, as well as info on my number one best-selling book, Next Level Leadership, visit consciousleaders.org.uk.